Today's program was brought to you by Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. For more information, visit copperandkings.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. What's the best stuff happening in food and tech? We'll find out in this episode and Tasting Table. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is 1 p.m. on Monday afternoon. I'm in the backyard of Roberta's. It's actually a sunny day now and warm and beautiful. And we're excited because it's time for Tech Bites, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is kind of the best of all the food technology that has been showcased on the tasting table this month. We have with us in studio today, Editorial Director Karen Palmer. Thank you for having me. We're excited to talk to you. You have Thanks. lots of good stuff happening on tasting table this month. Making our conversation into an actual broadcast podcast, we have the gentleman in the booth, Jack Inslee, our executive producer of the radio network, DJ, live DJ sometimes, on the air DJ every Thursday night for full service radio, followed by Gunwash. And he is about to head down to Charleston tomorrow, yeah? That's right, yeah. I'm excited. What are you doing down there? We are actually having a pop-up studio at Charleston Wine and Food. So we're doing uh, three days of live, pro two days, sorry, live programming, podcasts, drinking competitions, all kinds of fun stuff. It's going to be like all-day broadcasts. You'll be able to listen live, which is fun. We'll have a whole remote live set up and um, just enjoying Charleston. So what are the dates of the festival? That is a great question. Uh, the first event is Wednesday night, so I believe that's the second. And then we will be set up on the 4th and 5th in their Culinary Village um, live streaming shows all day. That's exciting. So if you are in Charleston, stop by. I believe they built you guys a teepee. Something like that, yeah. Stop by the Heritage Radio Network teepee to get in on the broadcasting. And if you can't make it, like myself, I'll be trapped in New York City. Listen live at heritageradio.org. Yeah. Should be a good time. Totally. So also back in the booth, we have our still pretty fresh, new... Studio manager, engineer of the show, David, and I will not say your last name because it's extremely challenging. Tatashore. Yeah. That's okay. Can we do a nickname, Jack? <laughs> Why does he get the say in that? Well, because I need, I need crowd support and grassroots to make a nickname happen because True. if people just start calling you by the nickname, then it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're probably not going to call yourself by the nickname. No, that would be weird. Yeah. It's, Do it's, you have any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, if I want the nickname to get support, I need it to go viral. Right. Um, I don't know. Right now, the first thing that popped into mind is Mr. T. But we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's nodding his head vigorously. Mm. Yeah, maybe. That might work. Okay. The first thing we do after we intro everybody on the show is we start off like a good meal with an app 
we all talk about favorite apps that we like new discoveries old favorites the only rule is that you're not allowed to talk about an app that you work on or that is Mm. affiliated with your work so we'll give you a little bit of time to think about that one and we'll go to mr t oh i thought i was going to get time to work on that one (laughs) um i guess one that i have used recently and i don't use frequently but uh it's called text later and i'm sure there are other uh varieties of this type of app where you can just schedule a text message so like when something occurs to me at three in the morning and i don't want the person i'm sending to to think i'm some kind of mutant i can schedule it for you know nine or ten a.m interesting yeah you can also set that up as reminders to people yeah text text later text later and yeah i'm sure there are a million apps that are similar but that's the one i have and it's free uh, yes. And it's for iPhone? Uh, Android is. Android. Yeah. Okay. Possibly Good to also know. for iPhone. All right. So Mr. T's an Android guy. <laughs> Indeed. Got it. Always have been. Building the database. <laughs> Building the database. Jack, before you go to your app, your new app for this week, we're yep. going to ask you how your 30-day workout app is going. My 30-day workout app is going well, and I also went to an actual gym <gasps> for the first time this weekend. Wow. Yeah, I have, I have a membership to the Y now. Jack. I ran four miles. Amazing. Yeah, it's happening. Like four miles inside on a treadmill or around a track, like not from no, somebody no, no, treadmill, who treadmill. you owed money to? Treadmill. Here's the, here's the life hack I found, right? Because as a DJ, you have to review a lot of music, you know, and you have to sort through a lot of bad music to kind of like find the good stuff. So I have these folders of like thousands and thousands of songs that I never get around to listening to. So of course, just hit the treadmill put it on my phone i'm sitting there like making a dj playlist while i work out are you super conscientious of the beats per minute if you're listening to music while you're working out you know what yes that happened like when quicker music came on i was increasing the the speed of the treadmill to kind of match that bpm you're totally right that happened so you may or may not be aware of this but you know there's an entire cache of music and podcasts that is set to specific bpms because that's the pace Whoa. For running and working out. Interesting. So sometimes, you know, and it'll be a mix of uh, a long mix of music for the amount of time that you want to work out. And mm-hmm. it'll be category like disco, techno, world beat, samba. But it'll tell you what the BPMs are so that you know what your pace is if you're running. Interesting. Yeah. You might want to check that out. Might be a whole new DJ arena for yeah. you to branch out into. This is a whole new world. This is the first time I ever really set foot in a gym. I didn't really know what I was doing, but... uh I survived. Are you going to um, put it on pause when you go down to Charleston? No, I hope there's a gym in the hotel. You know, we'll oh, keep it going. I'm going to get that text you later thing and set up all these texts <laughs> for you like, did you work out, Jack? Did you work out yet? How about now? Wow, How about now? Wow. Wow. <laughs> you got it. Um, well, to, to finish up here with the app, I have a, a very mindless app today. It's called This Is Sand, and it is a virtual sand art app so you know like the old sand art when you, you would pour sand into a little thing into layers of different colors and yeah this is, this is exactly what this is i wasted about 30 minutes of my life on this over the weekend wow um, but it's fun it's it's a really fun app and the results are beautiful so check it out this is sand this is sand it's very relaxing okay like virtual sand coloring, coloring mm-hmm. basically yeah you, you you can even like point your camera at a color and then you hold down the screen and it 
porous sand at that color, if the, that makes sense. The great thing is that Jack's doing it right now. He's like holding up his phone, pointing <laughs> can, it at something, it, yeah. and you know. Oh, nice. There you go. Sound effects. Yeah. So, Karen, do you have an app that you use a lot that you love? Well, I actually um, just downloaded something this weekend that a friend was telling me about, and it has nothing to do with food. Um, It's actually called Zeal, Z-E-E-L, and um, it's kind of like an Uber for massage therapists. So, like, you can schedule somebody to come to your apartment. They can bring a table if you don't have one, because I don't know many people who have a massage table in their apartment did you use it (laughs) i haven't used it yet but i've been just kind of like playing around with it so you can choose like massage style how long male or female therapist that kind of stuff so just seems like a fun so it's an out call right massage therapist comes to your exactly home hotel room wherever place of work (laughs) exactly wherever you want exactly interesting the the thing about that I wonder who's vetting the massage therapists that are on the site. Correct. What the vetting process is, the screening process, the you know employment records, the right. Um, yeah, that can be a little tricky. The friend that has been using it has had a great experience every time. Right. So she that would freak me out a little like bit a to have like somebody to, come into to, your house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. some people are comfortable with that. Out right. calling a stranger to come into your house to provide an intimate service for you. It's right. kind of, I don't know. I've been tempted. I have like this coupon that they keep sending me. You've been and, tempted. Yeah, I just haven't, haven't really pulled the trigger on it. Okay, well, report back if you do. Yeah. I think I mentioned it in like episode 10 or something. The out call for the massage service? Definitely. No, you definitely did not. Maybe I thought about bringing it up. (laughs) No, I I would have remembered massage (laughs) out call app for sure. Definitely. Well, one of us will try it and we'll let you know. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, now that you're working out a lot, Jack, you're going to have a good uh, reason to call because massage therapy is a great recovery tool when you're working out. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we're talking. (laughs) Okay, so tasting table, tasting table, digital media around food uh, started off as an email service, is now a full blown website. They also recently added an app called Dine. They decided, you decided, Karen, to devote the month of February to food and tech. So I mean, obviously, here at Tech Bites, we think food and tech is a very, very rich, relevant subject. What made you think that you needed to dedicate a whole month to it versus just kind of regular coverage or creating a category for it? Sure. Um, Some of the thinking behind it was that, you know, not necessarily so much about gadgets and gizmos that people are using in the kitchen. I mean, we cover that on tastingtable.com pretty frequently, but just the ways that like you talk about here on the podcast, technology is um, shaping the way that we eat, especially as diners and restaurants, how social media is impacting that. Um, And it just, it, it seemed like there was so much going on, you know, between Instagram and restaurant design or the way that, um, restaurants can track their diners these days. It just seemed like we wanted to explore some of these topics in more depth um, and package it all together in one month as opposed to, like you said, kind of rolling it out over the year. Obviously, we do cover things like apps and um, podcasts and that kind of stuff throughout the year, but just kind of like 
taking a moment to really focus on it. Were there any stories that were surprises to you? Um, actually, the one that just came out today, which was around Instagram and restaurant design, we spoke to um, our senior editor, Deborah First, spoke to several people within the restaurant industry, um, a couple of designers, um, Patrick so, Janelle, who's basically you know, a design guy, but also kind of a professional Instagrammer, um, Michael Cherno, who owns um, Seymour's on the Lower East Side and also co-owner of the Meatball Shop, just about how Instagram is influencing design. And is it like a chicken and egg thing where, you know, they're both kind of working together? It, it was really interesting hearing what people's responses were to that. Instagram has had really a prolific impact on life in general, but really profound, I think, on the restaurant industry as a whole. And sure. I don't even know if we know... I don't even know if we're over the top yet. Right. For something that's only been around for six years, it launched in 2010. Um, we did a show here last year. It's Tech Bytes episode 14 called The Instagram Effect with Kate Crater, the restaurant editor mm -hmm. at Food and Wine Magazine, and Stephen Hall, who a, owns a New York City PR firm, about what the impact of it has been just in terms of them doing their jobs. And the thing that's fascinating is that it allows a greater distribution of information, right. which is wonderful, but it also makes people think they can substitute real-life knowledge with information. And there's really a difference between having an actual functional working knowledge of a dish, a, f a restaurant, a drink, and then having kind of superficial top-line Right. Information about it. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, in terms of the design, it's just, you know, one of the things that Michael mentioned was um, that for Seymour's, Instagram certainly played a role in like textures and tabletop and, you know, even how they designed the bathroom because they wanted it to, you know, be a place where people would take photos. Because the just, bathroom selfie is a thing. Exactly. And you go into, I mean, tons of restaurants. I was at a restaurant um, this weekend, one of my favorites, um, Vicks, and they have, you know, that bright pink flamingo um, wallpaper in the bathroom. And it's like, you know, we did not speak to Vicks for this story, but like, obviously that's something, if you look at their Instagram feed where they're tagged, that gets posted all the time. So it's like these small little details that people are picking out and, and making for an Instagrammable experience. Do you think that Instagrammable equals good real life experience? Not Are necessarily. The, not necessarily. <laughs> no. I mean, the characteristics that, and this today's story, if you subscribe to Tasting Table and the story that posted today on the website is about um, the Instagram effect on restaurant design. But we can also carry that through to the Instagram effect on ingredients and plates and dishes and, and all those kinds of things. Do you think if restaurants are working to present a better image on Instagram, does that translate to a better environment in the restaurant? Um, again, not necessarily. I think that, um, you know, there are so many dishes out there right now that you feel like were just created for Instagram. Does it mean that you want to eat it or it's good necessarily? No, but it it's like a crazy milkshake that has 50 different thing, things piled on top of it. Um, is that going to be your best dessert experience that you've ever had? Maybe, maybe not. So, 
I wonder how that applies. I wonder if you can draw the same parallel to the design, though. Because theoretically, if it's good for Instagram, that means it has good lighting. That means True. it's interesting. True. That means you can see. True. But also, you know, I mean, every once in a while, you might want a cozy, kind of dimly lit meal um, as opposed to, you know, glaring lights kind of beating down on you and your food. I don't know. It, it kind of depends on what you're in the mood for and what you want. Very interesting. Um, how much the restaurant industry is now taking into account the opportunity and the effects of all the social media across the board. Because, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, many of these things didn't exist. Right. And then the consumer behavior pattern to be on them all day long, all the time, didn't exist either. So it really is new completely new territory and something that we speak frequently about on this show is that there's a whole spectrum of jobs and responsibilities and experiences that restaurants need to consider right which didn't exist before and legitimately all of this tech-driven digital stuff kind of requires a specific tech-driven digital knowledge base right which you know a great manager or wait person doesn't necessarily have the skill set for. Right. But those are often the people who are being asked to sort of manage all these things by default. Right. And I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, being in the industry and following these restaurants, you know, you can track a restaurant's opening on Instagram because they're already posting the interior or the dish and like all of this information that wasn't necessarily available for before they were kind of trying to keep under wraps it's like they almost have to publicize it before the restaurant is even open the one of the most fascinating stories i do think also i agree with you the one that you mentioned at the top of the show is the one that was about how what your what the restaurant knows about you before you walk in um so share what the details were of that because this is pretty fascinating yeah so our editor at large kat kinsman wrote a feature about um you know different ways that restaurants can track diners behavior whether it's data from open table or resi um you know they might be able to tell what kind of wine you typically like to order or i believe on resi you can even kind of like track the progress of a diner's meal so you know when to stop over and say hello. But the couple of hospitality professionals that she spoke to, including, you know, John Winterman, who's been in the business for a long time at Batard, um, and before that with Danielle, it's that kind of, um, you know, push-pull of, yes, you can track these certain behaviors and have data, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, that person is always going to order from that wine region or, you know, that an app can give you data that's going to lead to them having a better experience. You know, you still have to go over and talk to them and take into account, you know, what kind of day the person is having. Like it might say that a diner is difficult, but they might've just been having a bad day that one day they came into the restaurant. So just kind of that balance of data versus the personal touch that hospitality um, professionals, you know, have to give to their diners to, to create a great experience. So people, again, something we say quite a bit on this show, often don't realize how much personal information they have out there in the world on the internet. And every time Facebook changes its privacy settings or something like that, people get, you know, all up in arms and, you know, repost things about this is only for my use or my friends or these are the people who are going to see it. But every time you engage 
in something digital, whether it's on your phone or your computer or your tablet, the internet is recording it Mm -hmm. somewhere. All of that information is being captured and, and recorded and saved somewhere. So in some instances, it's very specific, like the point of sale and reservation platforms like OpenTable and Resi, where logically you would think, okay, I'm putting this in here, it's sending me an email, I've built an account, it's it's tracking. People might not realize that because these reservation systems are also used in the restaurant for the point of sale, it's also recording what you ordered and what you right. drank and how long you were there and how much you spent and maybe how much you tipped and the table you sat in and any comments and, and all those kinds of things. So the activity that you engage in directly with the program online or on your phone and then what you engage in in real life that the restaurant then uses the technology to manage their sales right all get saved i wonder if people are aware of sort of that extra step hospitality takes right i I mean because i think we understand that within the systems that we're using and that the restaurant's using that it's capturing data Talk a little bit about the steps that restaurants take outside of those systems to get to know their customers. Well, I think, again, you know, it's... Um, and it's typically in the realm of fine dining because ca- fast casual, casual people, restaurants don't really have the time or the bandwidth to spend that this much time. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the points that John Winterman makes is like actually getting to know the customers and again, just talking with them and trying to, to understand what their preferences are outside of this, you know, just, you know, customer A ordered the chicken tonight. Like, I don't think, you know, again, the next time they come in, they might be in the mood for something completely different. So it's just like creating that, that atmosphere. I have a friend who recently went to one of the top, top fine dining restaurants in the city um, with a group to celebrate a couple of different things. And they were very pleasantly surprised that the restaurant had gone to the trouble of basically Googling everybody Mm -hmm. and pulling down images of people from the internet of the moments they were celebrating. One person was promoted, one person had a birthday, you know, so they started Googling and looking through the internet for personal pieces of information about their guests to interject into the dining experience to say, hey, we know you're here to celebrate these things. We've found these things. We're going to, you know, sort of enhance your experience. And on the one hand, that's kind of amazing that they took that much time and were that thoughtful to do that. The flip side to that for me is, is that too much? Is that kind of creepy having your restaurant maitre d' server, you know, cyber stalk you to pull down birthday pictures of you from the internet to then print on your menu. I mean, I can see the amazingness of it. And to, to be perfectly transparent, the friend who recounted this story was completely enthralled and impressed and really enjoyed the experience and it really enhanced the experience. So this sort of like, and now did she know the shadow side is, is completely 100% my interjection now did the friend um had she been there a bunch of times sorry yeah he had he been there a bunch of times before okay had been there a bunch of times before knows them um and is probably considered like a friend of the restaurant or a frequent customer and that kind of thing so see that would make me a little less uncomfortable then because you know Mm -hmm. you have 
a relationship with right. the staff already. Um, but I think if it was my first time in, that would certainly be a bit much. Where's the line? <laughs> I, I don't think that's, know. <laughs> I, think that's a, I think that's a fun question. And that's a fun question that we'll, we will talk about when we come back from the break after listening to some music and hearing a word from our amazing sponsor. This is Field Trip World by Rectech. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, also the host of Full Service Radio. And I want to talk to you about Brandy. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Louisville, and we all know Kentucky is whiskey territory. However, the best thing I had to drink was brandy. I got to visit Copper and King's Distillery, and they make pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels, matured with rock and roll. That's right sonic aging they're playing music to the barrels the stuff is double distilled non-chill filtered unadulterated by bois sugar or caramel color and this stuff is feisty rambunctious with a long smooth finish the stuff isn't made exactly in the style of an international brandy or a cognac it's more along the lines of an american whiskey i can really be honest here and tell you i'm not just reading you an ad i'm giving you a tip american brandy you're not seeing it everywhere copper and kings is doing it incredibly well and they're cool people. The distillery is full of incredible art. Like I said, they're playing rock and roll to the barrels. So again, Copper and Kings, pure copper, pot distilled, American brandy, aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. That's copperandkings.com. Drink it neat, put it in a cocktail, sub it for your brown spirits, experiment, have fun, get funky. This stuff is awesome. Well, if you're wondering what the hell you just clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. That is not cooking technology. That is not immersion circulators and calcium alginates. That's the Dave Arnold Show, Cooking Issues. The food tech we talk about here is digital web app tech. And today we are talking with Karen Palmer from Tasting Table about their month of February editorial which was the best of food and tech. So one of the things that we were just dis discussing before the break was how restaurants, like regular people, use the internet and Google and social media to research their customers sometimes to give them a better eating experience. And there's a part of that that's really great, that they're attentive and they're curious and they want to know. And there's a part of that to me that's a, a little bit creepy. But... I suppose Googling and, and doing research on people is just a part of the, the digital age we live in. It's true. Scary, but true. And I think we expect people to Google and, and search us if we're dating or applying for a job or in an interview or going to have a meeting with somebody or maybe checking out the 411 on your in-call 
massage therapist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when we go to restaurants, I think it's a little bit different. Or maybe, am I, am I just being... I don't know. I guess you could also argue that if the restaurant is doing it to try to make your experience better, then that's a positive. Um, but I, I agree with you where, you know, if it was my first time in a restaurant and they knew all this kind of personal information, I would be a little taken aback and, you know, it would feel a little bit intrusive considering, you know, I'm just going there to have a meal. Did you get, and what kind of feedback did you get internally on the story? And then what kind of feedback did you get externally? Um, internally, you know, everybody really, I, we try to, um, you know, every once in a while on tastingtable.com, we bring the kind of front of the house perspective into restaurants because I think, you know, a lot of publications are very focused on the chefs and the, the back of the house. Um, so whenever we do one of these stories, I think it's interesting to hear that other perspective. So internally, everybody really enjoyed it. And I think, um, you know, again, it's that, that fine line of using technology, but still the hospitality professionals still having to use a personal touch to make a, a dining experience special. Um, I think this, the two people that we profiled really hit on that very well. Um, externally, we did hear from, you know, some hospitality professionals who also like enjoyed that we were hitting on this, you know, it's not like a super hot button topic, but just something to think about in terms of technology and how it can be used with the restaurants moving forward. What was it that people liked about it? The industry folks? Um, I, just it's honesty because it's like, you know, yes, you have all this data that you've gotten from apps or um, different services that you subscribe to, but it doesn't mean that, you know, the numbers aren't everything. And um, having to, again, still kind of connect with your customers is something that's very important. So the industry response was, yes, all that technology exists, but you still have to have a real life Exactly, touch. exactly. Interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. What was the biggest surprise in terms of response that you got in the terms of the stories that you covered? Um, was there anything that you didn't expect? Not really. I mean, I'm trying to think. Um, you covered a lot of ground. We did. You know, I mean, we covered we did, apps you know, and technology and the matrices and exactly. podcasting uh, and professional Instagramming. Exactly. We went in a little bit into... Um, you know, even just things as simple as like how to use your iPhone better in the kitchen, whether you use it as a scale or for a timer or watching Siri, cooking. Siri the sous chef is exactly. our favorite. <laughs> exactly. Here. Um, but yeah, I don't think we got any, any feedback that was, you know, super surprising or controversial necessarily. Tasting Table is not a media outlet that is out for controversy, really. You're right. really kind of at heart a service. Correct. A um, service, service media. Exactly. We're not you know, we're not snarky. We cover things that we recommend and that we like. So, you know, it's, it's, a if you don't have spin. anything nice to say, you exactly. don't say anything. It's not going to be said on tastingtable.com. There, <laughs> <laughs> so you also um, did some stories about apps. And of course you launched an app very recently we called did. Dine. We did. I would be curious to know what, essentially was the driver behind doing an app versus just doing like a really great mobile website because sure. all it's all, I mean, I'm not going to say it's exactly the same content because on right. the app it is localized restaurant guides and suggestions, but it is a lot of it's the, it's the tasting table information, right? 
packaged in a guide in app. app. Right. Um, well, one of the reasons um, I can go into a little bit of history about Tasting Table, not, not too long. We but, love um, history and context. Awesome. Because a lot of people don't have that. So this Correct. is a good place to get it. We right. often so, do like retrospective episodes cool. here. So, um, Well, Tasting Table launched in 2008, as you mentioned, as um, an email publication uh, because we wanted to build a, a community kind of in the, the daily candy style of of doing that. Um, but a couple of years later, shifted our focus to a national website. And what we found was that our readers wanted content that was, um, you know, relevant anywhere on the website, but they still wanted restaurant recommendations for their local cities. Um, so last year we acquired an app called flavor and relaunched it in November as dined by tasting table, um, to, still offer that restaurant recommendation service. So the app, I mean, it's in nine cities now. We actually just launched um, Detroit a couple weeks ago. And it's great. We cull reviews from different um, you know, notable sources, like, say, the New York Times or the San Francisco Chronicle in San Francisco, so you don't have to dig through online reviews to find a restaurant. And you can search by location, by different features, like if you're looking for brunch or late-night dining. Um, we get different tastemakers like Mario Batali and Danielle Belude to make lists like they're, you know, for Mario is favorite Italian restaurants. Um, not surprisingly. And, um, you know, it's just a really user friendly way to look for restaurants. And again, not having to comb through a million different online reviews to find one. So what makes, what do you think makes it, what's the unique piece of the DNA in the dine app? Cause there are a bunch of apps that are Sure. That aggregate information that have celebrity right. or industry lists. Um, I just think the user, it's really user friendly. I mean, just it's so, you know, you go in and whatever you're looking for, it's like, you know, are you looking by location? Are you looking by cuisine? Are you looking by special features? Um, and not only that, it's. I think one of the things that sets us apart is, you know, we have beautiful photography, beautiful, you know, it's, it's just visually pleasing to look at as well. So like, you know, I don't know. I, I find it to be a, a very relaxing experience, you know, cause like if, especially if you're out and you're searching for a place to go that night or wherever you might be, it's like, you want it to be just kind of simple and not, I don't know, you know, not bogged down with too much information. What are the plans for the app going forward? Do you have any new things that you can talk about Actually, that might be on the horizon? I can a little bit. Um, within the next week or so, we're launching um, a new design. So it's going to have a bit more of, surprisingly, an Instagram feel to it in terms of scrolling on some of the features and like the photos being a bit more of a focus. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. That rolls out actually next week. That's so, exciting. Yeah. And so even the app... I know. Influenced by Instagram. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. Exactly. Um, and then obviously, like, you know, maybe some new cities. We'll, we'll see where it's going. Okay. New cities, see where it's going. Instagram. Where, do you, where does Tasting Table stand on Snapchat? Well, we actually just launched a Snapchat um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's very different from our other social media platforms and how we're kind of presenting the content um, to be kind of, you know, specific to Snapchat, but it's really playful and it's a lot of behind the scenes, like what we're making in the test kitchen, um, like 
if we're on a video shoot or something, just kind of like behind the scenes. Similar, our Instagram does that a little bit too, but this is really, you know, geared toward the younger audience with a lot of emojis and funny sayings and all that stuff. So we are on the Snapchat bandwagon. Do you think it's going to change the demographic of the tasting table user? Do you hope? Does does the... Is that part of the hope that you attract? Sure. I mean, it's certainly geared towards a younger audience. So we're hoping that that brings more kind of younger users to tastingtable.com. You know, it's just, yeah, it's the nature of the app. So that's what we're hoping. Do you you have a younger person running that? Um, He's a bit younger, yes. (laughs) Very um, fluent on the platform. I... I'm still figuring it out a little bit, I have to be honest. But um, yes, it is a younger person in his 20s managing our Snapchat. That's fun. Yeah. Where does your social media fall in terms of the sort of hierarchy of the editorial? Is it its own entity? Is it underneath the editorial? Is it adjacent? We have run on its own. Does it run with the content? Um, We have a social media editor who works very closely with... um, the editorial staff, you know, she's in all of our editorial meetings. Um, Facebook is obviously our largest traffic driver, so we have um, a lot of focus on on Facebook content and how it's pre- presented and and rolled out throughout the day. Um, but no, it's very it, it works very closely with editorial. As the new social media, you know, apps and platforms are created. It, it's so interesting to see how it impacts traditional media. Well, you're not exactly traditional because you are digital, but right. you're structured, you know, in an editorial media sense. Correct. How you have to add an- another person or add a whole area. Does it change the way you look at content as an editor when you add on something like a Snapchat, just sort of out of the blue? Not out of the blue, but, you know, it's like, okay, Snapchat, we're going to get on that bandwagon, put you know, it, throw it onto the pile. A little bit. I would say, um, again, you know, to go back to, to Facebook a little bit, you know, we've noticed that the sort of overhead cooking videos have performed really well um, for a variety of other sites. So, like, we've been experimenting with that, like doing a different video style. So it's certainly yes, inform some of our editorial um, decisions in terms of what we think is going to perform well and what our our readers and social media followers are going to like. And I just think, you know, obviously as editors, we are consuming a lot of that content and it does lead to story ideas. And, you know, you might see, like I said, an Instagram of a a restaurant that's about to open it and might spark a story idea. I don't know that... um, like say Snapchat necessarily is changing how we're approaching editorial because we still do, um, you know, consider ourselves, like you said, it's, we're digital, but it's still a fairly traditional media entity. Um, oh, give it time. You've only been on the exactly. Snapchat We've only been on, for a couple it's weeks. It's only been a couple weeks. So who knows? Maybe next month I'll have a different answer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely digital media, social media, you know, having smartphones and tablets that have cameras and video and then all the video apps and those kinds of things change the opportunity of what kind of content you can make. And it also changes the baseline of what consumers expect to see in terms of content. Because if the average person can throw this up and it looks this good, you kind of expect your real media to do something that looks 
better. Right. Right? Yeah, definitely. But at what point does the technology drive the content? I mean, right. this year, definitely this year, and I think it started last year, um, and we're still seeing it growing. Video on Facebook is the thing. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yes, you know, it started 100%. a year ago, and it's definitely trending. And I don't think we're close to the apex yet, and it'll keep going. Right. Um, and everybody's doing video now. Right. We've, yeah, I mean that, that's true. And I think you know, at Tasting Table, even we've um, upped our video output. A lot, very significantly, basically a new video every day. So, um, so yes, Facebook is definitely informing the way that we're presenting that type of stuff. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating time to be in the media and be a journalist and be a content creator. Because it, do you do you feel like the types of content you create changes very rapidly? Is it a slower evolution from where you sit or because you're sort of at the front lines? Does it happen very quickly? Well, I'll say one of the great things about um, Tasting Table is that we're, we are constantly trying new things. Um, so, yeah, I would say pretty quickly. You know, I wouldn't, I don't know. We don't necessarily change anything overnight, but certainly with our video strategy and how we've been shooting and presenting video, that, that changed fairly quickly within the last couple months. So. Amazing. Well, what people don't realize is that TV shows were developed because they made a TV. Right. You know, I mean, we forget that back in the day when it was all radio, they developed TV shows to have something to put on the TV. Right. Exactly. So they could sell you the TV, yeah, which is interesting. True. And we're in the same. We're a little bit, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a chicken and the egg scenario. You'd For be sure. hard pressed to ask. Although I think in this case, technology is probably the ability to make it right. is then what drives it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, if Snapchat is the thing today, what's going to be next? Well, that's the question to ask you. What do you think is going to be next? Oh, what's, what's on the horizon? What are the kids talking about? What are, you, what are you watching? I mean... Or is there an entity or a blogger or a writer or a thing or some crazy, you know? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um... I mean, we're always searching for the next thing. I don't, I honestly. We were talking about Peach the last couple of weeks and, you know, people are basically saying it hasn't gotten enough audience and traction yet to be right. able to really see how it's going to, um, how it's going to turn out. It's kind of a little bit of a empty room right now. Right. Yeah. It'll be, I don't know. Well, I'd have to give that some thought. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Well, do you have another uh, food tech spotlight focus on your editorial calendar in the next, well, for the rest of the year? Is this going to be every February? Or are you going to do it again? I think we'll do it again next year. Um, today is obviously the last day of February, so we still have a couple features rolling out. We actually have um, Jim Meehan, who is our, our drinks editor, wrote a piece about how technology has tamed bartending and the role yeah. of the bartender and everything. So that's going up he today. He came on to Tech Bites last year when he released... Jim Meehan is the amazing bartender, cocktail magician, who owns a little place called PDT, which is Please Don't Tell, which is in the East Village. And he did a beautiful cookbook. And he came on last year when he released his app. 
mm-hmm. and he spoke very thoughtfully about while he was doing the book, he was already thinking about the app because they they represent two different things to him, right? In terms of the book being sort of like the time capsule archive, and he described the app as being a surveillance video camera where it was like really in real time because right. things move so quickly. So it's really interesting. He's a great, yeah, his, he has a great point of view for sure. And yes, this piece is also very thoughtful. Um, it even talks about, you know, bartenders used to kind of be the Yelp or Google maps for their customers, you know, recommending the next place to go or a restaurant around in the, the area. Or- and now, you know, it's like, because all of this information is so accessible, it's, it's even changed the way that bartenders interact with their customers. So, so and that will be up later today on tastingtable.com. Cocktails also <laughs> impacted by Instagram and all the other trends exactly. and the making the drinks and, and everything totally. like that also. Totally. And he said, you know, like even just Google image search for bartenders to be able to see how people are garnishing or, you know, even just like watching a video as to how to make a, a new cocktail. I mean, it's, there's just so much more information out there. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. Um, so much to talk about, but we're out of time. But if you want to find out more about the best of food and tech on tasting table, you want to go to tastingtable.com or you can follow them on social media at tasting table. If you're curious to see what Karen is up to though, you can follow her at Karen L Palmer. P-A-L-M-E-R. Of course, if you want to follow Tech Bytes, we're Tech Bytes HRN on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also are Tech Bytes HRN at Gmail if you want to shoot us a line. Maybe you loved something. Maybe you hated something. Maybe there's something you really want us to talk about. Maybe you just launched an app in the App Store and you want to come on Tech Bytes. We're very interactive reach out, get in touch. But before we close, I always like to ask all of my guests uh, for a piece of advice for listeners, something that can be um, really actionable for them at home. So my question to you is, you know, you manage a huge buffet of media, your digital media, you must consume a ton of media. Mm hmm. What's your best strategy for people to staying? How do you stay up to date, but not overwhelmed? How do you consume and stay on top of it, but without being on it 24 seven? Um, I mean, I kind of am on it 24 (laughs) (laughs) seven. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that. Um, but how do you manage it? Cause it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I just, you know, as an editor, you learn, your kind of go-to sources and how to use the different social media platforms for different things. So, you know, when I'm at work, I'm checking Twitter all day, you know, kind of keeping abreast of the news. Um, you know, Facebook is a little bit more just kind of social for me. It's just kind of like knowing when to pick and choose which of those tools for which parts of your life, I think is the best way to, to explain how I stay sane relatively. <laughs> Do you consume differently at work when you're in front of a desktop and then when you're away and you're on a portable device? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, again, when, when I'm sort of at work and focused on food news and media, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different 
again, like the different platforms that I'm on versus, you know, if I'm on my phone, it's usually Instagram. That's, I'm a little bit addicted. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> so that means you're in the right job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, I want to thank Karen Palmer from Tasting Table for coming out and talking about the best of food and tech. I want to thank our gentleman in the booth, Mr. T and DJ Jack Inslee. And also thank our amazing sponsors and our members. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a .org because we're a 501c3 charity. We rely entirely on our member support and our sponsor support to keep the lights on and the radio on the air. So if you liked today's show and you want to hear more, go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, click on the beating heart, and, you know, throw us something. What did you spend on coffee today? You probably spent like eight bucks on an amazing <laughs> handcrafted coffee. Eight bucks can make some nice radio. I'm Jennifer Leitze. This is Tech Bites. Thanks for stopping by. Come back and see us next week, Monday at 1 o'clock. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.